Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, January 2nd, 2015. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere using open web standards like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, REST, and JSON. This week, we talk about 10 things you can do to retrofit your desktop website for mobile. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello. Hello. Me again. You again. <laughs> Apparently now that Microsoft owns Skype, I'm getting special offers. Oh, good. Whenever I finish a call. Really? For, like, yeah, for well, what? Well, in this case, they tried to sell me Skype, but... That's weird. Well, with, like Enterprise. Yeah. Skype Platinum. <laughs> oh, well. Um, okay, so... Uh, we, I'm sure, don't have any housekeeping because it's been a holiday extravaganza. Yes. And everything will be, should be ship shape in 2015, at least out of the gate. I guess we just need to jump right into the feature. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> I, I, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. Dear listener, we're recording two shows in a row because we don't want to have nothing for you to listen to during your hangover-induced haze. Yeah, but we may well be in a hangover-induced haze ourselves. Exactly. So we wanted to pre-record some stuff, which means that you get right to the meat of the issue, which is probably going to make you vomit when you hear that. <laughs> <laughs> totally Better than getting to the scrambled eggs of the issue. <laughs> Title. <laughs> oh, excellent. Um, okay, so this week what we're going to talk about... Um, is retrofitting your website for mobile. And the premise here is that, um, you know, desktop design has been around for a long time. I, I guess we didn't really know it was desktop design at the time, but, you know, since the 90s, we've been building uh, websites and throughout the whole course of events from then up until, you know, 2007, you were basically designing for one class of machine, which was a desktop mm -hmm. machine that had a keyboard, a mouse, a screen of some reasonable minimum size, um, certain color profile, you know, a desktop machine. Yep. Around 2003, people started getting a lot of portables, laptops, hotspots started showing up all over the place, Starbucks, et cetera. And, and you, but then you were designing for a couple of different resolutions and yeah. Yeah, but it was still pretty much like a powerful machine with a keyboard and a mouse or a trackpad, you know, some kind of mm -hmm. pointer. And things didn't really... We all sort of had this consensual collective hallucination that everybody basically had the same situation. Yeah, everybody was browsing the, re the web at 1024 by 768. Yeah, and nobody ever downsized their windows or, you know, and if, if anybody still had an 800 by 600 screen, too bad. Yeah. They can scroll horizontally. Um, and then the iPhone came out and did a, a better than serviceable job of putting, I think Steve Jobs quote was the real, not the baby web, but the real web in your pocket. And as time, and it was really amazing. They, you know, mm -hmm. they did this double tap to zoom to block level elements type thing that made it, made it actually usable to go to the New York times website on this tiny little screen, which now looks ridiculously small <laughs> yes, compared to all the other phones around, but. Uh, so that, so, so the, the moral of the story is that we were designing desktop specific sites without even realizing it. 
and all of the folks, uh, probably John Alsop being the, the leader, all the folks who are saying that fluid is, is where it's at and that, you know, you're fooling yourself if you think everybody's looking at these screens at full width and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, embrace the flexibility of HTML and the browser and and use fluid designs. That was the buzzword at the time was fluid designs. Yeah. Clearly they were onto something. Yes, they obviously were. Um, the Dow of Web Design by John Alsop was, is probably, I think it's over 10 years old and it's still genius post. Okay, so uh, fast forward to now and people are, you know, mobile browsing is, no matter what, metric you choose to measure mobile is exploding usage wise and the and the adoption is just accelerating and there's still tons of room for it to grow because we're only at like 65 percent penetration for smartphone sales in the u.s i don't even think it's that high yet yeah Uh, and globally it's much much lower yeah it depends on the i think japan is higher but in but largely people are not i mean there's something like two billion uh, cell phone owners. So that includes dumb phones. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I don't know what the global percentage is, but it's my gut instinct is around like 35%, but it's definitely not 50%. So there's still a huge amount of growth uh, with Android prices dropping like crazy and these Chinese manufacturers coming up with basically free Android phones. You know, this yeah. is, it, everything's going mobile. Desktop is basically flat in terms of uh, web browsing. So, uh, in order to, assuming you, let's just, so, okay, you've got a website, you built it before the iPhone, it's, it's 960 pixels wide. Yeah, it's big. It's, it's, it's got, you know, it's over a megabyte of CSS. It's just like everything, everything about the most bloated desktop sites. And then it's, um, let's assume, let's assume your, your boardgamegeek.com because, I do believe the site looks like it was built in like 2003. Yeah. And I know they've talked many times about redoing it and they're supposedly in the process, but have been in the process forever. And, and the reason they don't is because it's just, it's, it's massive. Hmm. Well, that, that's perfect. That's perfect lead in, which is, um, you know, so you own a site, it has some kind of conversion on it. You have, you don't have a website for no reason. You know, maybe you're just like, like old school personal blogging, but you're probably selling ads or you're probably um, you're probably asking people to sign up to your email list or you've got a, you know a business and you're actually selling products or you've got pages where people can sign up to you know apply for a job you know your site probably has all of these things that uh, whatever the conversion is there, there's almost certainly something on your site where you're asking users to convert to do something on your site whether it's store locator look up your hours read your menu whatever and increasingly, they're doing this on mobile devices, and you know, traffic's right around 50-50 right now, mobile desktop in the U.S., and it's just going to get higher and higher and higher. Um, so what do you do? Because, as, as we well know, it's really hard to shoehorn a desktop site down into mobile. Uh, it's way, way easier to start small and work your way up. But that brings up all, it's like all kinds of problems with that obviously it's complicated. It's like a from scratch redesign of an existing site. So that has all kinds of risk associated with it, all kinds of costs associated with it, all kinds mm-hmm. of, all kinds of time burnt by the, the, the company who's trying to do it because they're like, have to make all these decisions about the design and work with web developers and, 
you know, it's like this huge undertaking. Um, so there's that in big organizations, it also raises an, a very difficult political minefield because, um, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but just to give you an example, I was working on a responsive design, just like wireframes and stuff for a national retail chain and want, you know, did the, did the thing. It was like, okay, here's here. We're going to start small with the designs and we're going to like work our way up to the desktop designs and the the project owner, project owner was like, wait, 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 this is, this is, is this an app? Cause I was showing narrow views and I'm like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. This is, if you go to the website on an iPhone, this is what it'll look like. And it's going to look like on the iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, well, what about, what's it going to look like the desktop? And I'm like, well, we'll get there. It's, it's like easier to make these hard decisions. Well, it's, we have to make all the hard decisions here and then it'll make it really easy to do the desktop thing. And she was very confused right. by that she's like, she just kept getting stuck on the app thing, app, app, app. Like if we're looking at iPhone, we should really bring in the mobile team because they're working on a mobile app that, you know, they probably have a lot of, we can probably leverage a lot of the design decisions that they made already. And I was like, okay, maybe. And so maybe it turned into this, this, uh, political nightmare where the, you know, the mobile team, we, we own mobile, we own mobile. And I'm like, okay, you own mobile. But when they're saying we own mobile, what they were really saying was we own the native app and that's going to be the mobile experience. Right. They didn't, the, the mobile team didn't want a mobile web experience because they own mobile. <laughs> yeah. They own mobile. And they mobile own the web, app and they want their app to be. I'm just assuming from their attitude that mobile web was like not up to snuff. You know, that's not sexy enough. We're going to do this really cool native iOS app. And I was like, okay, I get that. But you guys send out a lot of promotional email, right? Yeah, of course. Okay. And, and they have links in them, right? Yeah, they have links in them. So when someone opens that email on their phone, because 65% of all email is opened on phones now, mm-hmm. when someone opens that on their phone and they click on that link, what's going to happen? Yeah. It's not going to open the app. No. And dead silence on the other end of the phone. And I'm like, and then he goes, I didn't think of that. <laughs> And so I'm like, and so I, it, the funny thing is like you have, everyone has a mobile website <laughs> Yeah. in a lot of cases though, <laughs> it's your desktop website. <laughs> so, you know, is it usable? Can you, you know, can you do anything with it? Like anyway, so the, the point is that in this organization, this, this project actually failed because of the political issue between who owns mobile and it was actually kind of a big deal because who who should own it? Like, should the dot-com people own it? Or you know, It was really weird. Right. So, as difficult as it is to um, shoehorn a desktop site da- back down into mobile, I have come up with a list of 10 things that I think uh, are kind of like easy, low-hanging fruit things that you can do to kind of make it suck less. <laughs> And at least make it usable. Yeah, it's not going to be the same as doing a mobile-first redesign. But for those situations where you can't, they are simple. there are simple things you can do that aren't very time-consuming that will, will improve the user experience greatly. Exactly, exactly. So I have a, I have a list of 10 things. I'm just going to run down the list, and we can, we can just sort of discuss each if need be. I think all of them are so simple that I feel like it's kind of obvious. But uh, yeah, per- perhaps there'll be questions or something. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, number one, 
make sure your navigation works on mobile. So this sounds like obvious, but I go to sites regularly where like, for example, um, hover was this way for a long time. Uh, Meta Labs site was this way. Um, they have a SaaS product called flow that you literally mm -hmm. cannot log into on a phone because they have fixed position header. So if you zoom in to a size that allows you to actually tap on that super tiny little two pixel high text, uh, then it's, the header is going to cover it. And the, well, the, the header stays full width. So it's like way off to the right hand side of the screen. So the link you wanted, the login link that's on the right hand side of the header bar is unreachable. So you, you can't log in. So it violates what I call the don't make me get up off the couch rule. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, like I, I've seen that before where like parts, vital parts of the, the site, like you said, like a login link or, or, or the navigation or, or login forms, like they just, they just disappear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in hover uh, hover.com even though they've they're they're doing a sort of piecemeal retrofit which i applaud them for because at least they're doing something mm -hmm. uh their checkout form you can only you can only hit the checkout button if you hold the phone in landscape there's mm. there's no way in portrait mode for you to pinch or zoom or slide the page over it's literally impossible in portrait mode to click on the checkout button which fortunately you can go into landscape mode but that's the kind yeah, of thing at least that, you can in landscape, but yeah. Right. But then in landscape mode, there's, it's like you only got 40 pixels of vertical height. So it's like, you have to carefully scroll to get, you know, it's a checkout form for crying yeah. out loud. Right. Make it easy. All right. So that's, uh, this one is actually probably the hardest one on the list, but I made it number one because, um, it's so, it's so critically important. Yeah. To if make people your can't navigate work. your site, then nothing else matters. Yes. Um, the next one is, I think, the best bang for the buck. So number two is setting the appropriate input types on form fields. Mm -hmm. This is a huge win, and it's really simple to do. You just locate the form fields on your website, and if you have ones that are asking for an email address, change it from input type text to input type email, and on most modern devices, the user will be presented with a keyboard that is appropriate for entering an email address. It's so, super helpful. Oh, it's such a big difference. Yeah. It's like, I hate when I go to a site on my phone and go to fill in a form or not even a site. Some apps don't even do it. Mm -hmm. And, and they, like, I'll, I'll focus on an email field and the keyboard will come up. And it's like, ah, oh, it's not the email keyboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the worst is numbers, though. If you go to type yeah. in a zip code or a telephone number or a credit card number for crying out loud, and I have to keep on switching over to the... the to the numeric. Yeah, with the, with the yeah. numbers across the top instead of in a calculator-style keypad. Yeah, and then you have to hit the little numbers instead of just like a big, big grid of the nine. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. And it's such an easy fix. So easy. Yeah. Um, you, it, so that's just numbers. You can do dates, you know, automatically get a date picker times, get a time picker. It's URLs, URLs. Yeah. It's a huge win, huge win. Uh, so that's, that's easy and everybody should be doing that. Uh, the next one is pretty easy. It's very useful. You just need a little mm -hmm. snippet of JavaScript. So number three, adding visibility toggles to password fields. Yeah, this is, this is more useful than it, than you may be thinking. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. 
like if you're if you're just reading this list, you may be going, what's what's the point of that? But because no one ever shows password fields, but having them available on mobile, where you're trying to type in your password on this tiny keyboard to begin with, is super useful because mm-hmm. it's really easy to typo on on small keyboards. Right, and so you get to a site. Maybe you changed your password recently. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't been to the site in a while. You can't remember what your password is. It's one of five possible ones. And you're cycling through them. And, you know, the first one didn't work. But did I type it wrong? Maybe right, I tried exactly. the second one. Did I type it wrong again? Maybe I should go back to the first one. Forget this site. I'm just going to go to my desktop if I really have to do it. Or I'm just going to say forget it. Or I'm going to hit the password reminder thing and change my password again. Yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've had that happen before, where I go to a site and like, well, it's it's either this or it's this, but neither of them are working. Mm-hmm. And it ends up it's like, well, is it just a typo or yeah? And you have to go through the whole reset process. It's just a pain. Yeah. I can see what I'm putting in that input field, then I would know if there was a typo in there. Mm-hmm. And so there's a gotcha here though, which is that if the user submits the form while it's still showing the text, it won't do all of the fun password stuff like, do you want to save this for later and all that? Because it just thinks it's regular text. Mm -hmm. So I haven't played with this, but I am going to try. If on submit, I switch that field back to password, what'll happen? Yeah, that would be be what I would do. Yeah. So, uh, but this is super useful. Luke Robluski is a big proponent of this and I've added it to... um, my Kilo site, and I, even though I know for sure what the password is for that right. site because I use it all the time, it's super, super helpful. Um, okay, number four, deactivating auto-entry options. Uh, so this is something that you, I, I find a lot of people are not aware of, uh, but there are certain fields like email and URLs and that sort of thing, uh, or even username, where you don't want auto capitalization, you don't want, don't want auto correct. Auto correct for crying out loud, you definitely don't want auto correct. And you don't want auto complete. Yeah, and you don't want auto complete. So you can shut those things off. Those are you. You might want auto complete on an email. Perhaps, yeah. There's, I mean, it's a case by case situation. Yeah. Um, but it's again, it's phone. go ahead. Sorry, like my phone has my email mm-hmm. in it, and so I can just if I auto complete on an email address, I only have to just start typing my name. Exactly. And my email comes up as an option. And that's nice because Kelly at KellyShaver.com is kind of long and annoying to type on the phone. Yeah, same here. JStark at JonathanStark.com. It's like, okay, I got to type this again. <laughs> um, but if autocomplete, so autocomplete's fine there. Um, you know, you just want to go case by case. And so decide which things are appropriate or not appropriate for a given field. And um, this is this is very easy. It's not the hugest win, but it is a nice, it's a nice little um, added benefit. Uh, and those are just normal HTML5 attributes. So autocomplete equals uh, false, I want to say, or, or, or no, actually. Off. Is it off? I think it's off. Could be. Um, okay, so that is, that was number four. So number five, this one seems kind of obvious, but there's a, a kind of easy trick to it that not everyone knows about. So making tap targets more finger friendly. Yes. Um, you, what you do is uh, it, you can... I think there are two major steps for this. One is that uh, if you're talking about inline links inside of a paragraph, one thing you want to do is make sure your line height is a little bit roomier than you might do on the desktop. Mm -hmm. So that if there are two that become adjacent to each other vertically, 
then it's relatively easy for people to um, get one, one, the one they want. The other one is to add padding to them and then negative margin. So if you know add add 0.25 m's padding all the way around your links and then subtract uh, and then add I guess add negative wait what did I say that backwards add point two well, add some padding and then subtract the same amount of margin and what that does is it leaves the it leaves the links in the exact same place that they were but it makes the target it's invisible but it makes the target a lot bigger that's that's very clever. Yes, I don't know where. I wish I knew where I originally I like heard that. that. I didn't come up with that myself, uh, but that is helpful. So you can do uh, if you could, th- you know. There's I don't think there's really a reason not to do that on the desktop. But if you wanted to only send that to touch devices, you could easily add modernizer and check for um, touch events, or just put a little check in there for yourself to see if touch events exist. Then make the mm-hmm. then apply that CSS. <laughs> so I just I like that. The I'd, I'd never thought to do that, but that's cool adding value there you have it (laughs) um okay so number six removing hovers on touch devices uh this isn't a problem for every site but there i but i see it enough that i wanted to add it to the list and it's relatively straightforward to deal with Mm -hmm. um working on i noticed this uh, especially when i was working with brad on entertainment weekly because he added a he added as much uh, behavior to the CSS as he could to kind of like help me out. So I just had to do the complicated behavior stuff. Yeah, there was a lot of that with time too. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, but the and TechCrunch actually because it, the the problem is having hovers in your uh, true pseudo selector hovers in your CSS is really unpredictable. It creates really unpredictable behavior on touch devices sometimes the hovers stick and they stay hovered even though you know like if you have in page links so you've got fragment identifiers that are linking from mm-hmm. one part of a page to another the hover stays when you scroll down so um, it it just looks really weird um, if you've got flyover menus happening with the hover and they stick open it's it's just really it's really wonky it can get really wonky yeah uh, so this is a little bit more work than other stuff, but it's not too bad. You just add a little bit of a snippet of JavaScript so that instead of listening for hovers, you use mouse events and you use touch events and you change from colon hover to, you know, dot hover and you change, you, you add hover classes manually. Right. You're making a class instead of using the, the pseudo, pseudo selector. Yep, yep, yep. So that one actually takes a little bit of testing to make sure that you apply it just to the stuff where it makes sense to apply. But, um, but I, I think it takes a lot of jank away from the site when you do that. Hopefully this does, you know, it is possible. The place where it's trickiest is in the nav, but hopefully you've already fixed that in, in number one. So, (laughs) um, okay. Number seven, eight, nine, ten, seven. Yeah. Seven. Uh, optimizing images. This is, this is either impossible or really easy. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> right. So if you have a really complicated workflow, for example, Entertainment Weekly, they had a very complicated, you know, very complicated photo workflow, lots of people, lots of photo editors, a lot of high res photos, lots of versions, very complicated. Um, I, I don't know if they did this or not, but optimizing the images if you have the ability to add an optimization step to your photo workflow, uh, it makes a drastic difference on the overall page weight and the download speed. 
So, and, and download speed is critical for, um, for mobile usability. Uh, there were a bunch of stats that came out of Black Friday this year that said that, you know, the number one complaint that users have of mobile uh, retail sites, so, mobile, you know, e-commerce sites on mobile is that the pages just take way too long to load. And, you know, if, and, and I think the stat is that if the page takes longer than five seconds to load, like you, you lose like 85% of your users, they just leave. Yeah. So optimizing a more, images. A little more patient than they are on the desktop, but not much. Yeah. Um, so optimizing images, I use something when I'm just working on my own site, I use something called image optim, which I think is free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you just drop your photos on it and it squishes them, uh, without changing anything visibly. And I think CodeKit will do image optimization too. Oh, cool. That's good. We haven't to know. talked about that in a while, but I think it will. I've never used it, but I never used that part of it, but I think it does it. Cool. Yeah. So however you get it done, um, you, you want to do that if you can work it into your, into your, um, process. Photoshop or a third party third party application or or command line tools for batch compressing images or squish two or whatever. Yeah, there you go. Squish two shout out. <laughs> um, yeah, the the chances are if you're using an app if you're building an app that's new enough to use Squish Two, you're probably hopefully doing mobile first to begin with. Right. Although judging from Rails Rumble, you're maybe not. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Uh I'd love to open that can of worms again, but probably shouldn't. (laughs) Um, Okay, so that's number seven, optimizing your images. That's a good one. Uh, Number eight, concatenating external files. Yes. This is another one that happens automatically in lots of workflows, um, and you either can do it and it's really easy, or you can't do it because you've got some workflow where you're not in charge of that. Um, I know it would have been difficult on some of the really large corporate sites I've worked on, but if Mm -hmm. you can concatenate your CSS files into one and make just one network request and same with your JavaScript, um, minimizing the network requests for mobile is a very big deal because over the cellular cellular network, there's a ton of uh, connection latency. So for every network request that you make, there's like, you're adding like a second to the overall page load because it has to look stuff up and um, resolve the DNS, connect, you know, connect to the tower, resolve the DNS, get the asset downloaded. It's like, it's very slow on mobile. Um, So if that's something you can do, again, it's like pretty straightforward. The concept, you just mash everything together. Uh, I'm not even talking about like minifying as well, although that's a nice thing to do, but uh, just get them all into one network request if you can. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's pretty straightforward, I think. Number nine. Number nine. Activate server-side compression. So for me, that means gzip because I use Apache everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know how that works with something like Nginx? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. That would be something that, like, I definitely need to look into that because there's the, some other popular web servers these days, but certainly... Certainly Apache, uh, it's a question of pasting this sort of cryptic chunk of, of text slash code into an HT access file. Um, Nginx uses gzip compression as well. Okay, great. Yeah, so same kind of thing. So yeah, presumably you just edit a configuration file. And uh, what that does is the server just compresses this stuff before it sends it down to the browser. And it, it can make a, dra- a drastic difference in the file size going over the wire. So, or, or over the air, 
so that is a, a huge win. Um, trying to think. No, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's like a set, set it and forget it thing for me. I've, I've just picked up some code, pasted it into my file and bang, way smaller uh, network request. So yeah. not only is it happening faster for the user, but you're using up less of their data plan, which is also nice. Less of the data plan, less of your bandwidth. Yeah, it's a win all the way around. Of course, you're you're using a little bit more CPU, but I've never found that to be a problem. And finally, boy, this is ending on a really dull one. <laughs> Should have reorganized these. But number ten is caching static assets. Oh my! Ooh, oh my! Uh, so this, you're probably going to bust my cronies about this a little bit, um, because I got pretty aggressive about the caching on the uh, <laughs> Sticky Albums marketing site. <laughs> Cause it was really slow mm. and there are a lot of big images on it and even optimized. It was, it was taking a long time to load. So I went nuts with the caching, which made it almost impossible for us to update the site. Um, so I did have to go back and get a little more surgical with the file extensions. We'd make, we'd make a change like a week later. Yeah. <laughs> it's still I know. I cleared my cache. I'm using an incognito window on a different computer on another network. And it's still, yeah, you can. There's a setting that you can turn on. I think it's public. You turn on public caching, and that means any intervening servers that mm -hmm. get the data are allowed to then serve it back to you in the future. Um, so it is slightly. You you want to be specific with the things you cache. So yeah. things like your logo, stuff that doesn't change very often, your CSS file maybe, or certain CSS files. Um, but if you're concatenating them, you only have one. Um, but certain things like a jQuery, you know, things like that. And I, th I think the way, I, I think you can bust the cache for sure with that query string trick. So if it sees a new URL, then it'll force you to, it'll force a new download. There's, there's also other tools for server-side caching as well, like, like Varnish. And so that's actually, that's a, uh, that's a great idea. I wouldn't include it in this list because that gets really complicated. No, it gets, it gets a lot more complicated. Yeah, but that's great because that takes the load off of your database, which is almost always mm -hmm. the slowest link in the chain. Because it's not, it's not like re-looking up everything every time. So, geez, anything else? That was such a boring <laughs> number 10. We should have counted. I should have counted down from 10 to 1. Yeah, I should have gone from 10 to 1. Yeah, that would have been a lot better. <laughs> Live and learn. <laughs> you, you didn't Casey Kasem this entire time. <laughs> I know. I, I thought about it. And I tried not to. I think it was also because I was going, I should I should have went backwards. Then I would have been forced into the Casey Kasem. Yeah, you would have been. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You were going the wrong direction to, to, to Kasem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't feel like pulling an inverse Kasem. <laughs> no. Masic. Anyway. <laughs> so... Uh, okay, so folks, hopefully this was helpful to you. If you uh, wanted to learn more, I am uh, working on an ebook that you can pre-order now that goes in depth on each one of these things, and additionally has a couple bonus chapters with slightly more complicated stuff, um, like removing the 300 millisecond click delay and uh, you know not using inline form field labels and popovers and yada yada yada, hosting video that kind of stuff. Uh, so if people want to check that out, it's called the Mobile Retrofit Guide. And you can just go to my website and there's a link right on the homepage. Nice. Pretty excited about that. Uh, cool. Anything to add? 
to the New Year's, the day after New Year's Day episode? The day after New Year's Day episode? No, just that this, that, um, I hope future me has slept at this point. <laughs> I really do. Because if future me has not slept by now, future me is going to be a very unhappy person. Uh, I, so, I so, so dear, dear me, if you have not gone to bed yet, just, just, just give up and, and, and do it. It's <laughs> good advice. That's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye. Bye. Happy New Year. <laughs> Going to bed. <laughs> and good night. <laughs>